The Lord be with you. And also with you. That's the response. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you. I love you guys. We are going to be talking today about the Sermon on the Mount. We are in this sermon series going through Jesus' words. He has some very hard words for us. And we're going to get today to a passage on marriage. And I'll just tell you right now, here's why I'm talking about this this morning. Here's my hope for this church, for New Life Manitou. Here's my hope for the church in the United States. Here's my hope for the world, that the church would really be seen as a place that lifts up the sanctity of marriage. Amen? That we would be uh, a beacon of light in a very dark world, in a world that has really, you know, kind of just put marriage down and, and jokes about marriage, that we as the church would lift up the holiness, the sanctity of marriage. And so I've called this sermon, the title of this sermon, quite simply is The Covenant of Marriage. The Covenant of Marriage. <laughs> That's right. I couldn't remember the movie that was from this morning. My wife was like, it's from The Princess Bride. How could you forget? And um, so anyways, we're talking about marriage today. <laughs> marriage. I remember one of my first weddings, the, uh, the bride was like, hey, when you greet everyone, could you say marriage like that from the scene in The Princess Bride? And I was like, really? Like, you really? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we're big fans. And so I did. And everyone just erupted and laughed. They thought it was the funniest thing I had ever said in my whole life. And I was like, wow, maybe I should say that more often. So I just did. I will try not to say it anymore. Uh, today is part two of a sermon that we've been looking at talking through. Through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, specifically, Jesus talks about uh, uh, sexuality, adultery, divorce, and marriage. And to, so today, we're going to be talking about that last part, marriage and divorce. And so would you turn in your scriptures to the Word of God, to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll just preface by saying that the, the Bible is active. It's, it's alive. It's a breathing word to us from the Lord. And there, there's, there's nothing like it. It speaks truth to us. Amen? And so we say as a church, we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. So if you're able, would you stand? I'm going to read a couple verses here in Matthew 5. These are Jesus' words. So picture him uh, on a mountain in Galilee. He's preaching these words. There's a large crowd and he's just said the Beatitudes, these blessings, and then he gets to this hard passage, and we'll concentrate this sermon on the last half, but it says this, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you are in our midst. Christ, we, we say you're here. You're in our midst. You're speaking to us through these words. 
Lord, and they're hard words, but, but Lord, as we want to see this passage as you have taught it, Lord, we want to have your heart on the issue of marriage and divorce. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Speak to all of us, no matter where we're at in life, single, divorced, remarried, widowed. Uh, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Speak to our culture, speak to our nation on the sanctity, the holiness of marriage. Lord, we pray these words with great hope that you are the God who can do miracles. And so we lift your name high, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people with hope shouted, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Let's just jump right in here and tell it like it is. The Sermon on the Mount are some very hard words for us. So point one here, if you're taking notes for this sermon, you want to kind of keep organized as I'm talking. I'm just kind of um, want to open up and say, these are hard words. Jesus has some hard words for us. This is point one. Some very hard words, like very countercultural, very just hard words, a hard teaching. These are very challenging words to us as a church, as a people. These are God's words to humanity. This is Jesus' greatest teaching. It's his longest teaching, his magnum opus. The Sermon on the Mount is challenging. And it opens up with the Beatitudes. That's the Latin word. You know what Beatitudes means? Blessing is good job, class. And he starts off with these blessing statements, saying blessed is this group, blessed is that group, blessed are these people, which is very contrary to who we say is blessed. Think about it. Like who, who in the world is blessed today? If someone like gets rich and famous and powerful, you would say they're, they're blessed, right? And Jesus turns all that on its head and says, you know who's blessed? The poor are blessed. The meek are blessed. The hungry, the thirsty, the ones showing mercy are the ones that are blessed. Think about how countercultural that is to speak these words. These are hard words. And then I don't think there's another harder passage in all of scripture than the one we just read. Were you listening to what Jesus said to do if your right hand causes you to sin? Did you hear what Jesus said to do if your eye causes you to sin? Did you miss that part? Is this not the hardest, some of the hardest challenging scriptures in all of the Bible said by Jesus on this sermon on the mound? We had a sermon a couple weeks ago exploring, if you remember, Evan Redall was here. He's a, a great guy, licensed counselor, spoke about anger. And he said in this passage, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you're just angry at your brother, if you're just angry at your brother and say, you fool, are you idiot? Well, then that's like murder. That's like committing a sin in your heart and you're in danger of the fires of hell. This is challenging language that Jesus has to say. He's gonna say, love your enemies. Think about that. Whatever person or whatever people group or whatever, love them, love your enemies. He's gonna say, if someone slaps you on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn, what? This is hard teaching. He's gonna say, do not judge lest you will be judged. And then he gets to this passage at the end. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's gonna get to 7 where he says, this way that I'm telling you about, the way to the kingdom, it is a narrow, narrow road, and it is hard. And there is other roads. There's broad roads, and wide is their destructive paths. But this road is narrow. 
Jesus has some very challenging words for us. And so I'm going to ask you a question just uh, between you and the Lord. It's not a raise your hand question, just a kind of serious reflection question. Will you trust Jesus' words when they're hard, when they're contrary to the culture, the opinions of the world? Will you trust them even though they're hard? Will you trust the words of Jesus even though they seem contrary to the world around us? Let me tell you a story about trusting and what you should trust in. Uh, I have a friend. His name's Jeff. I met him in seminary years ago. I went to Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, and we met each other there. We were instant friends because we were both from Colorado. And being Colorado boys, uh, we were both like adventure dudes. So we went like hiking together and surfing and mountain biking and camping. And we did, just did fun stuff together. He came from uh, the Buena Vista area. He did some guiding there. Has anybody ever guy, uh, been on the river uh, in the Arkansas on Noah's Ark? He, were, he was one of the guides. It's a Christian-based uh, organization that takes people rafting. And he was one of the guides. So he kind of grew up rafting and kayaking and stuff. And when he moved to Pasadena, he picked up sea kayaking. I've never been ski, sea kayaking. But he would, that was something he picked up and he was into. And he decided to probably underpreparedly go from Los Angeles to the Catalina Islands, which is in the middle of the ocean. Well, not in the middle. It's like 32 miles out from LA. He was going to get into this tiny little kayak and paddle the 32 miles to Catalina, which he wasn't really prepared. He'll, he'll say in hindsight, well, I wasn't really prepared. Uh, he gets out early in the morning and he spends all day into the afternoon. And now it's approaching evening. And he should have been there, at least according to his calculations a long time ago. He's tired. He's not really exactly sure where he is. He's running out of water, running out of food, looking at the sun setting. And then the wind comes in. Wind comes in and fog comes in. And he is blow, he's just off course. Can you imagine? Like some of you know exactly this feeling of like being solo in somewhere like the wild like this. And the, the kind of like, like deep panic that sets in of like, I, am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it? And he can see before this fog set in, he kind of got a good bearing to the island, sees the island. He's just going to keep paddling to the island. He knows that he's beyond halfway now, so there's no turning back. So he, he's headed to the island, sees the island. The fog sets in. He can still kind of see the island. And he remembers that he has a GPS. He should have been using that before this. But he pulls out his GPS, looks at it, and to his horror, sees that that way is not the island. The island is that way according to the GPS. Now, in his mind, he had just seen the island. The fog set in. He kind of still sees the island. And he's been keeping his bow on this trajectory, but when he looks at his GPS, the GPS is saying that the island is this way. What would you do? Like, think about, I mean, you're kind of, imagine him, like kind of new to sea kayaking, probably above your limits, and realizing now in a panicked way, you're not prepared. What would you do? Would you stay on the, you thought it was this way, and you thought you, you think even now, it's like, I think that's the island through the fog, but your instrument the thing that tells you which way to go, the thing that you've brought, the thing that's never failed you, is saying to go this way. What would you do? My friend, he, he chose what was right. He, chose, he made a good decision and he lives to tell about it. Um, he chose to keep the GPS. And so he takes his bow, turns it this way to the GPS, 
And he goes that way and paddles, and it's just not a couple more hours that he sees the island and finds the island, and he's just fine. And so whenever we were like, you know, we, him and I would be hiking or camping or something like that, he would always have this phrase, you gotta trust your instruments. You gotta trust your instruments. And I think about fog setting in in life and in our culture and people saying, well, this is right or that's right. Or specifically this morning, we're talking about marriage and people have all kinds of opinions and thoughts about marriage and what marriage should be in this world, in our culture today. And I would say the words of my friend, Jeff, we got to trust in our instruments. Amen. The word of God, we got to look at what God said. We got to put aside our own opinions, put aside the opinions of this culture and look at our instruments, the word of God, and follow them. So let's look now specifically at the, the teachings on marriage, specifically divorce, because that's really what Jesus is hitting here. There was something going on in that culture that he addresses head on. So point two here the, the, of this sermon is Jesus teaching on divorce. Jesus teaching on divorce. He, he says some pretty bold things, challenging things about lots of different subjects, and then gets to this subject of divorce and says some pretty bold things. You see, in Jesus' time, in his culture, the 2,000-something years ago, uh, the culture was, this ancient world, was, was a man's world. It was, it was the old boys' club where uh, Jesus is going to rebuke this, but a man, for any reason, could divorce his wife for any reason. And there's people, historians, Josephus and other people who say, yeah, this, was, this is what was going on. A woman would burn the dinner and the man had every right to divorce her. You should be laughing right now. It's okay. That's, that's not good. If a woman left a drawer open, you could divorce her. You could, you could laugh. That, that, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, why, like that's, Jesus is saying, this is not what marriage is. You, you, don't, just, you don't go around divorcing for any and every reason a man back then with, with for any reason could hand his wife the d divorce certificates and without fairness without court without separating the assets without any sort of communication about children or custody a wife would just be sent on her way out to the streets and Jesus is saying don't you dare do that that is not what marriage is that's ridiculous that's nothing like what Jesus teaches about what marriage should be. And in our culture, it's different than that culture, um, but it has its own problems. I think our culture, our society has its own problems in our attitudes, philosophy of what marriage is. And I think in our society, it's, it's not held very highly. The, the, the marriage um, covenant is, is quickly, I would say way too quickly broken in our day and age, people way too quickly get divorced or see that as the only way out. I think of um, all the Hollywood marriages um, and, and we kind of just roll our eyes like, oh, it's in the news again. Someone's getting remarried. Someone's in, had an affair. Someone's getting engaged. And this marriage, it lasted two years. Wow, that's great. The last one only lasted one year. And this just continually roving uh, door of marriages and relationships amongst the most rich and famous. And for, for you know, let's just call it what it is, Americans look up to the rich and famous. And so that's like the model for society of what marriage is. And Jesus has something completely contrary to that to say about the holiness and the sanctity of marriage. 
I was watching, uh, so to prepare for this sermon, I was kind of just trying to get into uh, videos and blogs and some information on stats on what the world, like our society, thinks about marriage. And I was scrolling through some videos and I saw this ad of a lawyer, a divorce lawyer, and he said some horrible advice. Like, like it was so shocking to me what he said that I thought it was like a, a spoof commercial. You know, like uh, back in my day when Saturday Night Live was good and funny and kind of clean. Anybody else? Back in my day. Um, Anyways, um, so they would have these uh, skits and then it would go into a commercial break and you'd watch one, two, three, four commercials. And then it would seem like another commercial was coming on, but it was actually like a skit, a spoof about some ridiculous product. And you're like, ah, they got me. At first they had me. I thought that was going to be, I thought that was real, but this is just all a joke. And so anyways, I was watching this lawyer, a kind of a commercial for this lawyer. And I thought it was a spoof. Like what he was saying was like, he was answering this question, is divorce after 50 worth it? Well, of course it is. Let me tell you, it's the, it's, you, you gotta split your assets. You gotta go out there and you gotta be happy. You still got like 20 prime years of your life left. You deserve to be you. You need to go out there, get that divorce and I can help you do it. My name's lawyer so-and-so and I can help you right now. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, are you, who is this clown? Like this is the worst advice. I mean, I get it that he's a divorce lawyer and he's making money off of this. So he's kind of like presenting a commercial on the greatness of getting a divorce. But I was just like, gosh, is this what our society thinks? Like, is it really just all about our own happiness and happiness can trump a covenant? No, here's what Jesus has to say about marriage. Let's, let's get to a passage here. Uh, This is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, a much longer passage, still in the book of Matthew, later. So we we assume Jesus had some teachings like his one in the Sermon on the Mount. And and a lot of scholars think that Jesus had this Sermon on the Mount, and he would go from place to place, and he would teach something like what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. He would teach parables. That's why we see in the gospel like different parables being taught at different places, because Jesus had something to say, and he would bring that message to different towns. And so we assume that he preached something like the Sermon on the Mount because then the Pharisees have similar questions about this whole marriage for any reason and the certificate of divorce thing. So if you want, you can turn to Matthew 19. We'll put it on the screens as well. This is after Jesus has said these things is how it starts. So Jesus has spoken a whole bunch of parables. He left Galilee. That's where the sea is. That's where the Sermon on the Mount took place. And he goes into the region of Judah on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 2 says of Matthew 19, large crowds followed him. He healed them there. And then here it says some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful? They're trying to trick him, right? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They're trying to trick him because it is lawful. In that day and age, that, that was the law. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Listen carefully here. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then 
they asked, did Moses command, he's trying to trick them, you know, these Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus, quoting the Bible. Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Which is not really the case if you go back and read it. Jesus replied, well, Moses, he's about to slam them, by the way. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you divorce to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But this was not the way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another woman, commits adultery. Then the disciples, they seem surprised. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus, I'm kind of paraphrasing what happens next. Jesus basically says, yeah, it might be. For those that can accept that, singleness is maybe a really good way of life, a really honorable, noble way of life. And so if you're in here and you're either single or committed single or you've been divorced or wherever you're at in a, in a life of singleness, the Lord has a lot of, of just, he just lifts singleness very high. In fact, Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament with his letters, says, goes further and says, I wish everyone was like me, unmarried, because then you have so much you can give to the kingdom of God. There is, there is a, a high dignity and value to singleness in the community of God. And so if you're here and you're, and you're single and you're wondering, like, what am I doing listening to a, a sermon on marriage? Well, we'll know that, 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 that Jesus holds singleness very highly. In fact, I, was, uh, I put this story in my notes just as this morning as we were worshiping because Erica, uh, my wife, the worship leader, she mentioned that the, the revival's going on. There's, there's several, and there's, there's one that I've been uh, kind of following because it's at Asbury Seminary, and New Life Church has a branch of Asbury Seminary uh, at New Life North, and in Kentucky, their main campus, if you haven't heard about it, basically the, what's going on is that the chapel from what I understand, a chapel service happened and a bunch of students came to their chapel uh, service at their college and then they didn't leave. They just kept praying. And that was 11 days ago. And like there's, there's been a continuum that kind of made news. Like why are these kids, these students, these college students keep praying and they're seeking the Lord and they're just going, they're just like, and then like, well, what's going on there? I want to see if, if the, I want to see what that is. And people out of curiosity are coming into this big hall where this chapel service has been going on. And it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And that's really, you know, something that to give credit to young single people, that's really something that I've seen in my own life. Like I remember my days of being single and passionate for the Lord. I remember like Friday nights, we would go to church because there was a Friday night service. It was the college ministry then. Now it's New Life Friday night. We would go to the college service. And then after the college service, let's, let's go to lunch. Let's go to dinner. Uh, I call it lunch because back then I would get up at like noon. But anyways, um, <laughs> Let's go to dinner. So we'd go to dinner after the, the college ministry and uh, we, we would talk about, I remember talk, having these wonderful conversations about what, what are we gonna do with our lives and how are we gonna serve the kingdom? I remember conversations where like, we should go on a mission trip, like just the three of us, three guys, you know, we're talking just like, yeah, let's, let's go. And we ended up going to Nepal and Tibet and Thailand. And those two guys that I went with became missionaries there. And like, that was birthed out of like spending the, the evening 
talking about missions, like after the church service. And I remember it being like midnight, and we're like, well, should we go home? And someone was like, hey, let's go back to the church and pray, because we have the World Prayer Center that was open 24 hours a day. And they're like, yeah, let's go do that. And, and just going back to church. And now I'm like, man, being out after like 8.30 is, is, why would you do that? What are you people doing out at 8.30? You'd be in bed. Don't you have to get up? Don't you have kids? But I remember like just thinking back to my single days to give everyone that is single the, the dignity that, that there is like a power in you that you have no idea. Like after I got married, after I have kids, like the, the amount of like passion that you can have in your single life. I just wanted to say that and, and, and give you dignity and, and honor you because that's what Jesus does. He says, if you can be single, then, then consider that. Be single. Paul, Paul's even stronger. He says, my, basically, my opinion is you should be single. But anyways, for those that are married, Jesus talks about divorce. So I'll get us back on track here with a pretty bold statement. And, and I, w- I would say it that divorce is hell. Like, I, I can't think of a worse thing. And people that have been through divorce would, would, would have told me, yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's horrible. Going through that was the worst thing that they've had to go through. And as a pastor, my heart grieves. And, and I know in here, there's, there's marriages that aren't perfect. I know there's people struggling. And as a pastor, sometimes I, I feel as though like I learn or I'm invited into the struggle very late. Like that's kind of a reoccurring theme that I'll get a call in the middle of the night or, or you know, early on in the morning say, hey, we, we really need to meet with the pastor. Our marriage is struggling. But often, and I pray this doesn't happen, oftentimes the marriage is like already decided for divorce. And there's like one last ditch effort when, gosh, I wish the church, here's something I want to to, to be clear about this sermon, I wish the church was a place where whatever you're struggling with, you didn't feel like you needed to hide. You can come in here, you could share plainly like what, what it is you're going through with each other. You could come up for prayer, you could stay after, you could ask to meet with me as a pastor or any one of our volunteers, or you could come to the men's ministry. And like, like this Thursday, we're gonna have a men's, it's like basically our fellowship night. And you can come and you don't have to put on a smile. You can come and share what's going on in your life. And the other guys, I can guarantee this will happen, will surround you and love you no matter what you share, no matter what you're struggling with. That's the kind of environment the church should be when it comes to any issue, specifically marriage, because I believe in miracles. I believe that since Jesus was risen from the dead, then any miracle is possible, even in a marriage that looks like it's going to fail. I've been a pastor. Next year, I will be a pastor at New Life. You ready? For 20 years. 20 years of my life. And in my 20 years, thank you, thank you. um, I, 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 was, I became a pastor when I was 10, by the way. Just <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing the math. Um, <laughs> uh, but in my 20 years, I, and I, I've done a lot of uh, marriages. I've, I've married a lot of people because I've, I was the youth, uh, the kind of the student college ministry. And it's, it's people that would know me in that time and season of life as, as their pastor. They would ask me to marry them. So I've done a lot of weddings, done a lot of people premarital counseling. I've done a lot of um, just kind of like basically emergency care for marriages that are failing and I get called and I've never in my 20 years, that's why I mentioned that number, never in my 20 years um, counseled anyone towards divorce because I'm always hopeful that there, there can be 
a miracle, that, that these horrible patterns or um, addictions or these things that have happened, ha- there, there could be, let's hope and let's pray, a miracle even in the worst case. And I will, as a caveat, say I have actually um, counseled someone, a couple people actually, to get a separation. Like maybe like there's been situations of abuse and I've said, like, it might be safer for you, and you're, you need to get out of there. Like, this is just being practical. Like, like this, this isn't right, and, and as your pastor, I, I'm giving you, like, it's okay, get separated. Get, get away from the monster and the abuse. Um, but I've never counseled divorce because I'm still hopeful that, okay, well, maybe a miracle can happen. And I've seen miracles amongst us. I've seen miracles in my own life of, of radical change from dark to light, from death to life. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the Lord is living and active today. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to say, uh, a couple things about divorce, because that's really this passage that, that Jesus is talking about now. That um, I think I said this before, I'll say it again, that I think people get divorced way too soon. I think, uh, especially if there's still unmet emotional energy, like work through these things. Turn over every stone for rehabilitation and hope and pray and get people around you that can pray and hope with you that things will change and the marriage will get better. There's four big reasons for divorce I've found in our world today, in our society. Uh, and I'll say all four of these and you'll be like, yep, that's, that sounds about right. Uh, abuse, adultery, addiction, the three A's, abuse, adultery, addiction, and the final one, strife with finances. And a lot of people would say that that fourth one, that may actually be the biggest one, that people fighting over how money is spent or how it's earned or what you're doing with your money or my money. And this is like, that causes a lot of tension. A lot of people say that's maybe the biggest one of those four. But the one that, that, that those are the four big ones. The, the, the reason in my mind that I hear this way too often, and, and um, sadly, I sometimes hear it from Christians as well, that, that the reason for divorce isn't one of those four, but just uh, like, I, I just wasn't happy is what people would say. I just, I just wasn't happy and I, I deserve to be happy. So I'm gonna go out and you know, separate this divorce and I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go out and be happy. And to that, I just, that, that makes me really sad. Does that make you sad? Because I have friends, because I'm at the age now where uh, I got married and a lot of my friends got married and now it's, you know, we're 10, 15 years into marriage and I've seen so many of my like close friends' marriages fail. And so many of them, they, they would like, like with a weird boldness say, I just wasn't happy. And so I needed to be happy. So we ended the marriage. And it just grieves me because I'm like, well, happiness and the covenant, should happiness be held higher than a covenant of marriage? And then I think about like the whole life with Christ. Our life with Christ, is, is it about happiness or is it really about just the opposite? I mean, doesn't Jesus take this whole Sermon on the Mount and throw it on its head and call those who are poor blessed and thirsty and hungry and, and, and those that are lowly? Doesn't he call them blessed, the people that are seemingly suffering for the kingdom of God? Happiness isn't what you're promised by God. It's being close to him. It's the kingdom that we're promised when we walk with him. So this last point here, uh, point number three, is this. Kind of a weird way to word it, but um, I worded it as self-help versus dying to self. Self-help versus dying to self. So here's some 
advice on, on marriage a little bit. It could come across as self-help. And th- there's, a, there's a lot to be said about if your uh, uh, marriage isn't doing too well, if a friend of yours' marriage isn't doing too well, if you're giving advice to someone about marriage, there's a lot of tools and resources out there about better communication in the realm of self-help. There's about not carrying offenses. There's self-help about finances, planning your week, child-rearing, parenting, sex, expectations, roles. I saw a really good study on criticism, that if, you, that if a husband and a wife are critical of each other, that lays the groundwork for anger, and anger leads to all these problems and issues, and it really all like hinges on just being critical of one another. And so a lot of kind of the self-help world is, is, is about like getting rid of criticism in your marriage. And there's wonderful tools and Christian seminars and books and podcasts and all these things about marriage. And some of them are wonderful. And, and outside of the church, in the world today, there's a whole bunch of advice. And some of it is absolutely horrible. Like I think about that guy, the lawyer guy, you know, call me, I'm a lawyer so-and-so, I'll get you that divorce as possible, and blah, 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 and you just need to get out there, and you need to be happy, and you need to separate your assets, and do this and that, and I'll help you do it, I'm so-and-so lawyer. It's like, man, that's horrible advice. The, 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 the philosophy of our day is, is to be happy and to have fun, and, and, and that it has gone crazy in our world today. It's at the height of any kind of philosophy of someone's life. Well, you know, you just be happy. If you're just happy, well, then you do whatever makes you happy. Happy, happy, happy. It's like, is that really what life is all about? Is it all about eat and drink and tomorrow we die? No, that Jesus says just the opposite. Jesus talks about dying to ourselves. And so here's a piece of just like knowledge from scripture as Jesus teaches it that's good for marriage advice or just life advice. Jesus says to die to yourself. He says, pick up your cross and to follow me. Talks about serving other people, lifting others up. God might become more and I might become less found in the text of scripture. At a wedding, and I've done a lot of weddings as a pastor for young adults. Uh, The bride and the groom will be up there. I'll be up there with my little suit. And everybody's smiling, bridesmaids, the groomsmen, uh, parents crying happy tears, grandparents are there, flowers, everything's nice. And I usually begin my sermon uh, with a phrase that like shocks everyone. And I say, today, each of you dies to yourself. And I've seen the crowd, sometimes they're like, is this a funeral? Am I in the wrong place? Each of you dies to who you think about first. Well, that, that phrase, that, that concept at least, is right out of Scripture. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, doesn't he? He calls us to live for one another. He calls us to live for the kingdom. And a marriage, there's nothing like a marriage for living and dying for the other person. And I think in these passages of you know, the Sermon on the Mount being one of them, Jesus really calls us to a completely different way of living where we die to ourselves. And if this isn't the best marriage advice I can think of, it's it's gotta be. Like that that's how a marriage works. You serve one another, you live for each other, and that's what marriage should be. That's what makes marriage holy. That's what makes marriage, Paul says, that that a marriage is is like Christ and the church, a husband and a wife. 
And Christ served the church. This passage, um, I think about sometimes in the church, these passages are used to, um, or maybe they're just felt like, you know, these passages, if, if you have been divorced or you're going through a, a hard time in your marriage, uh, I, I want to say something to you right now because I think these passages or just kind of um, maybe just loosey-goosey kind of preaching can lead to people feeling so much shame about their life if they've been through something hard, if they've been through a divorce, if they've been through a hard season in their marriage. They read passages or hear messages like this. And I'll say a couple things here to encourage you because I really, I want to leave you challenged, but, but I don't want to shame anyone. I don't, that's not the Lord. That's not his work. The Lord challenges. The Lord lifts us up. The Lord serves us and calls us to serve others. But so I would say this, that a marriage takes two. And maybe you've been in a place where, where you were that person trying to save the marriage. You were trying and going for it and going to counseling and it was your spouse that, that ended things maybe too quickly. I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe um, you've heard the phrase, it's, it's out of the Bible, depending on your translation and how it's translated. Three words, God hates divorce. It's uh, been used maybe as a, as a, as a, as a thing to, maybe you just felt the shame. You've heard that verse, you've heard that teaching. And, and I would just say, well, well, doesn't everyone hate divorce? Like that's not, it's not a fun thing. It's, it, everyone hates divorce. It's, it's not good. And I want to say this, that, that God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorced people. God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorced people. And your storyline can be different. Your storyline can be made new. Your storyline of your life, no matter where you're at, can be one of redemption. It could be one where Christ comes in and works a miracle in your life. And so that's what I want to say this morning. I want you to stand. I want to read another passage of scripture with you. If you will stand, the band will come up. And then um, after I read this, Jordan's going to lead us to the table of communion. But Jesus says these words. It's what I've been hinting at this kind of this last part of this sermon. Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to be one of my disciples, you must do this. He says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is the very hard words of Jesus. You wanna be a follower of Jesus? He doesn't promise fame and fortune and glory and power. He says, if you wanna be a disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross for whoever wants to lose, whoever wants to save their life, you want to save your own life, you're going to lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so what Jesus says to do is to, to die to yourself, to keep serving, to keep giving, to keep giving, to keep giving. And some of you in here may be like, I, I have been giving. I, have, I keep giving and I keep giving. I mean, people take advantage of me and I keep giving. And Jesus says, die to yourself and keep giving, and keep serving. And that could be a place of like resentment and it could be a hard place for you to keep giving. But we have someone, here's the good news. We have someone who has given his life for us. We have someone who by his grace, he didn't deserve death, but he went to the cross for us. Jesus is telling us these words from a place where he has been. He has been to the cross. He has served us. And these words of his to die to ourselves are the greatest advice anyone can have for their life or for their marriage. So I want to pray right now and then 
Jordan will give us some instructions for communion. We have an open table where anyone who wants the grace of God in their lives, you can come to this table, you can receive with us. But let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we prepare our hearts for your table, your table that's set before us. And Lord, I pray miracles over us in our lives, whether single, married, divorced, widowed, the the different situations we find ourselves in life. Lord, we pray for miracles in this church, in the church of this nation, in this nation itself. Lord, we pray for miracles of your power and glory to be seen on this earth as it is in heaven. But we come to your table now dependent upon you. We can't do this on our own. The idea of serving even more and getting taken advantage of or living a life for someone who just isn't nice to us. Lord, would you give us the strength? You're calling us to this work. Lord, would you give us the strength to show mercy, to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, to do the very hard words and challenges you've called us to do. Lord, we pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If y'all don't already have uh, communion, there are little baskets under your seats. Um, There are little cups like this, and grab that. Um, What's so special about a sermon on marriage, divorce, and singleness is that it always connects back to our life in Christ. Where in Christ, we are united with him, and marriage um, on earth is an example of how we'll be united in heaven with the Lord. Um, And so what's cool about communion, I guess, you know, sacred, holy, cool is a a weak word, but um, what's wonderful about it is that we do not have to rely on our own strength. We are not the one who started the covenant. Jesus is the one who did it for us. So if y'all have your little wafer, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his friends and he could have been anywhere else. He could have done anything else. He could have said, I don't wanna be united with y'all. Y'all are the worst. You're gonna deny me. You're gonna leave me. You're gonna betray me. But instead he took the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So if y'all can break your little wafer. And he said, take this in remembrance of me. So you can take the bread. And he took the cup the ultimate sign of covenant sacrifice, pouring out his life for people who didn't care for him, technically didn't deserve him, but he still chose covenant anyway. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take this in remembrance of me. We can take this. And before we go back into worship, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your covenant with us. Jesus, thank you that you are the example of the ultimate sacrifice, of the ultimate gift. We receive you. We receive your strength. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who goes before us. You are the one we follow. So as we worship, I pray that you would fill our hearts with love for you, so that we can have love for each other. God, I pray that you would heal broken relationships in this room, heal broken hearts. 
And God, thank you for the strength of your covenant that we rely on. In Jesus' name, amen.